Oh, good evening. Um, my name's Paige Wood. And I'm an alcoholic. Hey. I got a sobriety date. It's March the 31st, 1989, and um, I got a home group. In fact, many of them are. One of them, my sober buddy Kevin. I hope you get the meeting tonight. Is up here with me. Uh, he's going to give me th this if I start going to the left too much, and uh, start sharing opinions, and which I'm prone to do, and uh, getting off track. So, my, but my sober buddy Kevin's with me, and uh, my good friend Jim Hughes is here from 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 Raleigh area, and and one of his home group members, uh, Jim. Sometime back, one time asked me. He said, Paige. What, do you know what makes a good AA talk? And I said, well, you know, a lot, a lot of things ran through my head, but I said, well, no. He said, about 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might not get that tonight, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best and, and to, to, to be on time. I got here on time, so we might be able to finish on time. And I appreciate uh, the invitation. I really do. It means so much to me to, to be a part of your life and a part of so many men and women here what a group. I wish that the people that we have on, on Zoom could see uh, the, the, see you tonight. Uh, what a happy, joyous, uh, and free group of people who would not normally mix being here at a church uh, um, yard, you know. We're normally in a, we're normally in a basement or, or somewhere of a church building, but here we are outside. And uh, we just had um, a great meal and, and snacks and so forth. Uh, Buck Weaver uh, took charge of the, the grill broke down, and he, I called him inside at a frying pan. He was in there. It must have been 120 degrees, and him and others were in there frying the hamburgers and hot dogs in a frying pan the old-fashioned way. So, But he, they pulled it off. Anyway, I'm delighted to be here. I've got a home group, and I, I think many of them, are uh, uh, showing up on Zoom and uh, and, and they're, uh, they're probably praying that I will not embarrass them <laughs> and uh, I hope I don't. But uh, let me tell you a minute about my home group and then I'll share a little bit about myself and try to get on topic uh, before we get out of here. I think we, we're going to shut this thing down by nine anyway. So anyway, I'm joking. So my home group, uh, we're one group that meets, I, I think I'm planning on joking, but anyway, my home group meets twice a week, and we're a big book study group. In fact, this group and many groups in the area, uh, we all do the same thing. We're three legacy groups. We, we believe in, in the program of recovery that's laid out in the textbook. Well, I'm going to talk about that as much as I can tonight and, and, and stick to that uh, deal, because that's why we're here. So anyway, we're uh, one group twice a week. And we studied the textbook. It takes us about two and a half years to get all the way through the book. And we're just about there. Uh, I got my book with me. I might even get a chance to read a little bit to you. But we even do right on to the AA pamphlets. We spend one whole meeting studying that one page about why the pamphlets are important. And, and they are. And um, so... Um, in the beginning, that's probably about the only thing you can understand, uh, and so forth. Anyway, so we, we study the textbook, first three teases of the month, and then on the fourth, we study a tradition in conjunction with the month out of the 12 and 12. When and if, and there is, a fifth Tuesday of the month, we study AA history using AA conference-approved literature, believing that if we've got a malady that is going to kill us, 
that we ought to know as much about it as we can. We ought to be experts in the, in the malady of alcoholism so that we can help others. We, won't, we don't have the answer to it, but we've got the solution to it. So we ought to learn about that and be able to pass that on. We also meet on Friday, and again, we're a closed group. Uh, we study um, AA literature. The chairperson gets to pick uh, any conference-approved literature and share on that, calling on the membership their experience, strength, and hope. If we, if we don't have enough people to go around, we call on our guests, but that would be last, and only if we know you. And, and, and that's, that's out of respect for you, not to embarrass you or us. And so, uh, and the last Friday of the month, we do what you do pretty normally. We have a speaker. We have an open speaker. And, and I see a four or five of our speakers that have been invited to our group sitting out in the audience tonight. And, um, and so I, I'm encouraged that you're, you're here and that you're members of good standing of this group. So that's our group. And, uh, and uh, uh, for us, it, it is the best group in the whole wide world. I hope you feel that way about your group. And, and, and my opinion is, if I lived in this area, I would try to, try to somehow you know, be a member up here if I could. And uh, so I would like that. And I would invite you. I'm not asking you to, to desert, but if, if you move to Rocky Mount area, come on by and we're, we'll give you the application form and get the paperwork started <laughs> and get you into our group and go through the process. And anyway, I'm joking about that too. It's pretty easy to, to get in. It's hard work if you're coming in for the first time. If you're coming in off off the streets and out of the, under the bridge, you know, you paid your dues. But otherwise, uh, we're glad to have you. And uh, heard some great news from one of your members. I can't wait to get home and share it with my lo lovely wife, um, who, who was planning on being with me tonight, but got called into work. And then just before going to work, she got. Um, called out of work so um, um, anyway she's zoomed in so um, I can't wait to share some news with her about that anyway the other thing I, I want to talk about real quick is next Friday night or tomorrow night we got an open speaker you can zoom in and we got one of the old timers real old timers Jim Fairclough he'll speak for our home group tomorrow night and then on Saturday at 3 o'clock he'll be speaking at the state convention as part of the old timers panel and then the last Friday of August, uh, we're going to do something just like this. Uh, we're going to model what you're doing here. We, we're so attracted to it. It looks like so much fun, and it looks like you've worked out all the details. We're going to try to do this and pull this off in, at our home group, if our group will vote for it. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged that they might and, and so forth. We, we're a pretty hungry group of guys and girls, so uh, we, we like to eat. And so anyway, I'm going to um, just, again, thank you for being here. Um, uh, I got good instructions from both Bree and, and Jerry. Uh, Jerry and myself, um, I don't know if you know this, we go way back uh, uh, to early sobriety, and, and we've just had, it's just been delightful to uh, journey together on this path and, and to learn to live this program of recovery together, and, and we shared uh, both family and friends and, and, and happiness and, 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 and sadness along the way. Getting sober will not, will not stop things from life visiting. In fact, I think life comes at you harder and faster being sober than when, when we were drinking. I think we had a big problem of where to get the booze and how I could keep drinking. Uh, I think that was a big problem back then. 
but but there's a lot of little problems that, that hit at us when we when we start to get sober and start living a design for living um Bree and Jerry, uh, I, I guess they worry about me. They love me. People don't. They, people that don't love you don't really worry about you a whole lot. They don't think about you much. But both of them called me up special and said, "You know what the topic is?" And I said, "Well, yeah." I said, uh, I, "I'll stumble into that and get there." But I think what you want me to do is to tell my story, and I tell you why I think that. Um, my sobriety date is March the 31st, 1989. I couldn't be here tonight without having got help. And when I came here, one of the first things I was told was no human power can fix me. In fact, my sponsor said, you're not here to be fixed. You're here to be reborn. They ain't, we're not trying to save anything you brought here with you. You brought a mess. And, and, and what we're after is for you to get an entire psychic change. We want you to have a spiritual experience and, and have that radical change in the way you act and the way you think. In fact, we don't care how you think. We care a lot about how you act. And my best story about that is when I talk to people I'm trying to sponsor is I said, go sit in the bank parking lot and plan the perfect robbery. Sit out there with pad and paper, camera, and take note of who's going in and out, where the cameras are, how many, if they got security, how many tellers are on duty, all that, just plan it out. And nobody, nobody will come up and knock on the window and say, hey, I'm arresting you for planning this bank robbery. They won't do that. But the moment you put your hand in the pocket and you go to the door and you go to the teller and said, give me all your money, then they're going to knock on the door and said, come on with me. So. It's your actions and not your thinking. And, and that's, 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 that's almost hard to understand for most alcoholics, it was for me, in that I thought my way into doing things. I, if I could think about it long enough, I could figure out how to get out of the next jam or the jam that I was in, how to get back to work. I had a lot of problems with getting back to work. Jim Hughes says I always leave this part out of my story. And I, and I do sometimes. I don't ever get there. It's because it's about drinking. My last big drinking episode was I took the company plane. Nothing wrong with that. I, I'm fully authorized to take the company plane. All they expect for me to do is to bring it back. That's all they all. That's all they ask, you know. Go off, do the job, come on home, and, and, and so forth for the next person, for the next day. And so... Um, uh, I, for one, was disappointed when AA canceled their um, international convention to Detroit. My last time to Detroit was up there in a blind blackout on a plane. I couldn't get off the tarmac. I, I didn't know where I was going back to or even how to do it. And, and I, I was uh, AWOL. If I was in the military, I was missing uh, with, a, with a several million dollar uh, company aircraft. So anyway, that's how I got to AA. Uh, my employer was pretty direct and, and uh, kept things simple. He said, Paige, you're either going to a federal prison or you're going to go get help. And I said, well, what kind of help and how long are you going to give me to think about it? And, and they gave me three days. I'm getting way ahead of myself. I'd like to talk about drinking for just a moment. And, uh, and, and, and I want to tell you about my prior experience with God before AA. Uh, I, I was brought up in a, in a home. My mom, the Christian woman, was and, 
and and, and is, is is waiting for me and others to get to heaven right now. She is she is there. If you can ever be there, she's one of them. And uh, and she took us to church um, every time she could. Uh, Kevin's got a great drug story. I know we're in AA, but Kevin's drug story was he was drugged to church every time they opened the door. And, and that's what happened to me. And, uh, and so um, I, I'm, I'm familiar with who God was and, and, and so forth. I went to church. That's all I knew about him other than I didn't like him. And I blamed God for, for the way our life was, especially my life and my brother and my sister and my mother, you know, uh, about how bad it was because my father was a bad drinker, he's an alcoholic, we didn't know that, we didn't know how to spell the word. I sometimes look the word up in the dictionary to make sure I'm spelling it right now. It's not something I'm, I'm used to. But, and, and that's after, you know, uh, being a member for 31 years. Anyway, I, uh, I didn't know God and, and I knew of him and I wasn't an atheist or an agnostic. I just didn't care. But number one, if you don't like somebody, you, you don't you don't hang out with them. You don't you don't pray to them at night. You know, I, you know, like we're taught in AA to pray for the people you don't like. Pray for your boss. Pray for your wife or whatever. You know, uh, but but I didn't do that growing up, and and so I just didn't know God. I came to AA at the age of 42 years old because I was forced to to come here, and listen. I didn't know the Lord's Prayer. We're going to close with the Lord's Prayer tonight, and I can lead it. I know the words. I know the prayer. It's in my heart now. It was not even in my head uh, 31 years ago. I just didn't know it. I never bothered to learn it. I didn't pray. And so I believe that a man was self-made, and if he worked hard, and he played hard, and, and, and if he was successful, it was because of his own attributes and, and that kind of stuff. Self-made man self-will run right and so it was not news to me to find out in the textbook that um now the highway patrolmen were confused my ex-wife was confused they thought drinking was my problem and uh the textbook says that's just a symptom of what's wrong with me it, it in that uh, my problem is my selfishness and self-centeredness to the extreme and, and so we, we, we got uh, to, to defeat that, to overcome our drinking. So anyway, I was taught in the very beginning that no human power can relieve thy alcoholism. And that, uh, well, what can? And, and the book is pretty straightforward. The book says, uh, on one time when it introduces the program, it starts talking about that lack of power is our dilemma. And, 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 and what is that? The God is our source. And may you find him now, even now, it would be good if you don't, if you haven't, and so forth. So God is the source of our power. Now, we're not here tonight, certainly this guy's not here tonight to define what God is to you. Uh, I, I'll, I'll let you know what God is to me. He's the King and Lord of my life. And, and, and I carry it way beyond what I'd learned in Alcoholics Anonymous because that's where Alcoholics Anonymous led me. And in our literature, in our book, in our textbook, the book says, make use of what men of religion and medicine have to offer. They also say there are several other good books and to turn to that. Now, it recommends you do that after about step nine. That's where it comes into the literature at. So I, I did that, and um, I've got the most uh, wonderful 
way of uh, being led to the relationship I have with God. And, and it's been through AA and the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And Jerry has walked almost all of that with me in that the, the big number five year of our sobriety, his and mine, uh, we, um, we camped out one time at his father's house. His father wanted all of us to get sober so badly, he packed up the family. He did, and we're five, we're, we're so bad even at five years sober, he's still willing to pack up the family, go to the beach, and turn the house over to us. And we moved in with a bunch of groceries, and, uh, and we took the steps. And I'm going to talk about taking the steps uh, as well tonight. And, and I'm going to certainly refer you tonight, before we leave here, I'm going to find the story in this book. Um, it's called, uh, He Sold Himself Short, or something like that. And I'll, I'll get that right before we leave here tonight. And, uh, and it talks about Dr. Bob carrying a man through the steps in one afternoon. And, uh, and it was uh, six of them, six steps. Well, if you dissect it and study those things, it was all 12 of them put together. And before that, they'd been getting sober on two and three and four steps. And, and most of it had to do with the Oxford group of uh, just um, absolute love, purity, and, honesty, and that kind of stuff. Real simple religious stuff. Even before we started running away from religion over to the spiritual side of things, which our book is written as, as a spiritual solution. Nothing to do with what kind of church you go to or what religion you may be practicing and whatever is spiritual. What that means to me is there's natural law and there's spiritual law. The natural law is for, easy to understand. If I throw an apple up, the apple's going to go back down. The sun's going to come up in the east and it's going to go down in the west. They are natural, natural um, uh, principles and, and so forth. Spiritual is, to make it simple, you get what you give. Uh, that's probably the easiest one to understand is, you know, you treat people right, more than likely they're going to treat you right. You treat them badly, more than likely they're going to treat you badly, and so forth. So, anyway, these principles are laid out in, in the form of steps that initially we start following. Pretty soon, when you get there, you can just throw the numbers away and just practice a design for living, doing basically opposite of what you want to do. Yeah, you know, you want to steal, give. You want to lie, tell the truth, you know. Uh, those things don't change. The human nature doesn't change because we get sober. The idea of it changes, about how we do things changes. We'll wake up every morning just as selfish and self-centered as when we first came to AA. But then, tomorrow morning, we've got a way to, to knock that down and to start off on, on sure footing with a relationship hand in hand with the God of our understanding. Well, let me uh, just um, point that out a little bit more firmly in that our program was, was given to us, the co-founders, Bill and Bob, and Bill actually started getting sober at a kitchen table when a friend of his came down, Abby Thatcher came down, and, and Bill thought he'd got religion. Well, in a way he had, but what he had got is a spiritual experience and, and, a, and a God of his understanding. And he told Bill that he had a solution for him and that he could have a God of his understanding. Now, Bill didn't get radically sober at that kitchen table. It took him a few more months, and he actually went off and, and got committed 
to a, a, a hospital again, I think it's fifth time there, and, and had a spiritual experience that night. A puff of smoke happened to him type thing, and he asked the good doctor, what is this about? And the doctor said, well, I don't know, you know, what do we know about it? But he said, whatever it is, you're different, and you better hang on to it. And, and for six months he did, he met Dr. Bob, and part of that experience was he had to help somebody else. And he'd spent six months trying to help somebody, and he got to Bob. And Bob had been a student of the Holy Bible. His wife had read it to him frontwards and backwards, and, and they'd gone to the Oxford group and everything. But he had not had that personal experience that came from, from surrender. And, and that's how step one, that, that is mandatory. And everything else is almost voluntary. You want to take 10 years to get sober? Go at it. You know, I wouldn't recommend it, but, but you could. And, uh, and the Highway Patrol would even appreciate it. But, but your life would be better the quicker you can do that. So, anyway, um, the, the, the third alcoholic also got sobered almost just like that. Bill Dotson, he was a broke-down attorney, and uh, was in bad standing uh, legally and, and so forth, and, and was a bad drunk. And uh, they talked to him, and they talked to him about the basic tenets of our program. Uh, back then, they were talking about four to six things that you must do, and, and he did them and got sober and never drank again the rest of his life and, and went on to start another group right away and so forth. And then pretty soon, we come to my favorite guy, Earl Treat, and he sold himself short, and Dr. Bob worked with him on his afternoon off. Now, imagine this. Some of you are probably... Um, very influential in your certain areas of profession or, or, or friendships with people. But my doctor is not going to take an afternoon off and work with me on anything. He might play golf with somebody, but uh, he's not going to come and help me with, with um, my, my problem with drinking too much, you know. But that's what Dr. Bob did on his afternoon off, went and worked with somebody uh, for four to six hours and took him all the way through the steps. And that guy got sober and started groups and helping others as well. So that's what I'm here to talk about a little bit tonight. My drinking started when I was 13. I'm the last man here that should have, have any experience with drinking beverage alcohol. I never saw anything pretty about it. You might have grown up with a TV set and seen some kind of commercial about drinking look nice and social and really pretty people were doing it and they were friendly and everything. That's not, that, that's not what I saw. I saw one of the, 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 the strangest conditions happen in my life was a man that was supposed to be loved and respected, that's a father, come home. When he came home, he didn't come home much, but when he came home, he would beat my little mom, my brother, my sisters, and, and, and myself, wreck the house, uh, maybe use the pee in the corner or something, and, and, and pass out. My little mom would patch herself together and, and fix herself and go around to all of us and fix whatever he had hurt and clean up the mess and, and, and haul him off the bed and, and get us settled down. And that, 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 that was not a one-time occurrence. That was not a camp out or something. That was, that was regularly and routinely. And, and my reaction to that was I hated it. I hated him. I hated our life. And I hated God. Uh, and, 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 and God, of my understanding, was there's something wrong with this fellow that, that will allow this to happen. Now, nor did I have any understanding that God is just and God is love and 
or any of the correct uh, understanding of our Savior. But, but again, that's all I saw. That's all I knew. And, and so I, uh, I not only committed murder in my heart, I said, I will end this. Even as a little boy, I said, I will end this. And so uh, the only thing I had as a kid was a baseball bat. And I said, I'll just kill him. It was just as matter of fact as eating some potato chips. That's all it is. That's it. That's it. That'll put a stop to this. And so it took me one summer to plan all that out. And, uh, and I was going to get on the roof uh, of a garage right there in our yard. And when he would come home dead drunk, I'd have to make sure he was dead drunk because I was afraid of him. He was strong. I'm a kid. And uh, I was going to jump off the roof, land on his shoulders. Bam. He's going to go down. I'm going to have my bat. I'm going to start pounding on him. That was the plan. Pretty simple. And uh, the problem was, I'd get on that roof as a kid, full of fear, and some nights I'd fall asleep. He'd come home, beat everybody else up and everything. I'd be out there on the roof, sleep. Uh, yeah. Uh, some nights he wouldn't come home. I'd stay out there with the bugs and everything all night long, and, and, and he wouldn't come home. And sometimes he would come home, and I didn't feel like he was... Um, bad enough off that I, I thought I was full of fear. I didn't know that. I thought I was fearless even then. But anyway, it, one night it, it just happened. It just lined up right perfect. He came home. I thought he was uh, drunk enough. I, I could overtake him and I, I pounced right off that roof, landing right on his shoulders. He went down. I started pounding on him with that bat. And before my little arms could get, get, get done, I, I got tired. Uh, I, um, I just quit on him because I, I, I thought it was done. And I went on in the house, slept the peace and joy of uh, the same I'm going to sleep tonight. I'm a good sleeper. The Navy taught me how to sleep anytime and anywhere. I can I could fall asleep at this podium if you're not careful. And I'm, I'm serious. I'm a, I'm a good sleeper. And, uh, and, uh, and so I just went in there and went to bed. And, and you would think... I'd be full of uh, something, you know, remorse or guilt or, or something. And you would think that the city would be all over me or my parents would be all over me and, and everything. And some neighbors found him out in the yard the next day and they got him off to the hospital and they got him fixed up. And for about a year he was convalescent and, and he never worked again. And, and he didn't. Let me tell you something. If you don't hear anything tonight, I'm going to tell you this. The textbook says that frothy emotional appeals that will not fix our alcoholism. Remember where that is in the book, Frothy Emotional Pills. I didn't know what that meant in, when I came to AA. That's when the mother or your wife or your sister or somebody says, please don't do that tonight. Come home. Don't drink tonight. Come on home. Don't you care about us? That's Frothy Emotional Appeals. And uh, I've, had, I've had my share of that. The other thing the textbook says is that the intellect is of no effect with alcoholism. I sponsor a doctor. I sponsor an unemployed house painter. Guess who's easier, sober, and, 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 and everything? It's that unemployed house painter, not the doctor. His, his intellect's in the way of, of, of his heart. He's got to understand everything. He's got to dissect everything. But that's not how we get sober. We get sober through our feet, just walking through things and, and taking action. So anyway, um, um, so the book the book says the intellect is no no use and and that uh, frothy emotional pills is no use and no human power. Let me tell you what else don't work: a 
baseball bat don't work. Jerry can tell you getting your head shaved doesn't work. You know, uh, he, his testimony will tell you that. But again, a baseball bat won't, will not. But I can tell you what it will do. It'll stop the beatings. So from that night on, uh, my father never harmed a member of his family. I can tell you this. This social distance rule that's going on right now, this six-foot deal, I think that's what it is or whatever. We had a 12-foot social distance room in my home with my father. He'd be over there, I'd be over here, and, and he was the one that was keeping the distance. He was, I can tell you, he was afraid of me. I was crazy. I was crazy. Look, I hadn't started drinking yet, and, and my best friend's a baseball bat. Well, that, that was the change at age 13. I had my first drink, and uh, it was a six-pack of uh, Pat's Blue Ribbon beer. The new people call that PBLs or something like that. Anyway, Pat's Blue Ribbon beer, and I didn't even know they made that mess anymore, but they did. And I drank a few of them coming along, and I got my first cigarette that night, and that was a big treat because I'd been stealing cigarettes out of the gutters and, and, and from my father. And from anybody I could, I'd steal the butts that weren't smoked all the way down. We walked around with burns on our lips because we, we smoked them so low, you know. Anyway, it was, it was a joy to get a pack of cigarettes brand new. The problem was we wanted Luckies or Camels, a real man's cigarette, you know. And the guy that got us our booze and, and the cigarettes, he, he got us a pack of Kent's. That'd be like Madeline going out and getting some cigarettes, you know, some kind of woman yuppie cigarette, you know. They're about that long, and real thin. They look like a straw. And, uh, but anyway, part of the magic that night was uh, I'm this 13-year-old kid, and I'm embarrassed to be alive. Uh, let me tell you, I, we grew up poor. Uh, my definition of that is you're poor if you got to go next door to borrow a bucket of water because you don't have utilities on the house. That's poor. That's pretty bad off, and that was my definition, and that's what we did. And, uh, and I was shy, and, and uh, my, my design life was I was going to be able to afford a starch white shirt or a dress shirt and, and, and so forth, and my mom was not going to have to wash it and iron it and hang it out on the line and all that kind of stuff. I was going to go to the dry cleaners and get that starch white shirt. And that was my idea of being rich at the time. That's changed a little bit over time, but not much. Anyway, I, uh, I was embarrassed about living. I was, uh, had a speech impediment. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't even say my name correctly and so forth. And, and, and I'd go to school and the teachers didn't know who I was. I'd, I'd sit there and they'd call the roll and I wouldn't answer. I would just be embarrassed to answer. I'd just sit there. They'd walk right up to you. Are you so-and-so? And, -so? and I, I would maybe nod, yeah. And, but I wouldn't say anything. And so I was always regarded as being slow, backwards. Um, they got special ed classes for that kind of stuff now. And, uh, but anyway, I, I survived most of that. I, I barely got out of school. Joined the Navy, went off, da-da-da. Came back and got several degrees and everything and ended up here at Holly Springs tonight telling this uh, yay story. So anyway, but I was, I was just embarrassed to beat the band, but here I am on that first night, 13 years old, camping out. It was about this hot, the way I remember it. We had on shorts and t-shirts and, and barefoot, and we're in the backyard with this tent, that six-pack of Pat's Moving Beer and that pack of Kent cigarettes, and one girl, an older woman. And uh, we're members of a women's haters club. And uh, we don't hate women, but we got a club that's called a Women's Haters Club. We had a tree house, 
and all kinds of stuff. Paradoxically, we can't explain it now, nor could we explain it then. We had one girl who was a member. Best <laughs> I remember, she was a girl, a member in our group, and a member in good standing. She came over that night, and uh, and 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 the power of that alcohol opened up that experience for me. And I'm gonna tell you, when you put the power of, of getting that cigarette that I love to this day, I don't smoke. I hadn't smoked in about 30 years. I was three packs a day for about 30 years, but I love smoking. I still pat myself down every now and then looking for them. If I see you got one, I'm looking mine. Now, I'm not a huffer. I'm against, I, you know, I think you huffers are kind of funny. <laughs> you are huffing when you could be smoking. What is wrong with you? You know, <laughs> anyway, they lock up alcoholics. They don't lock up smokers, you know, much. Anyway, that's an opinion. I'm, I'm getting off a little bit. But anyway, I fell under the power of that um, booze took over and, and that smoking took over and that relationship with that girl. And I can tell you the experience of the ninth step that says we will intuitively know how to handle things which used to baffle us, that happened to me that night. And I knew that I would drink again. I knew it beyond a shadow of doubt. I knew I would chase those things again forever. And, and that's what I set out to do. And I did for 30 years. And, uh, and it looked like with some degree of, of safety and sanity uh, and, and security and, and, and so forth, I, uh, I was able to, to go to Vietnam for a couple years and live through it. I was able to spend several years on a nuclear submarines. I'm one of the few men in history that, that was able to drink on nuclear submarines on a regular fashion. I, I was in charge of 55 gallons of grain uh, alcohol that we used on, on torpedoes. We, we would take the gyros and clean them with, with this 180 proof uh, chemical. It's, that's grain alcohol. I found that out by just tasting it. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm armed. I'm, I'm wearing a shoulder holster with a 45 and, 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 and several clips and everything. And I'm in protecting these nuclear weapons and, 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 and the green alcohol, 55 gallons of it. I'm sharing it with a few friends, but not many. And uh, anyway, anyway, I, um, I can tell you this, that, that'll, uh, that'll put an end to your military career pretty quickly, you know, sooner or later and everything. It did for me. And I ended up um, out and, and ended up into the profession that I'm in today, and I'm grateful for that and, and what an experience. So the best part of my life started uh, when I got forced to come to Alcoholics Anonymous. So I, um, I could, we, we could literally stay here a long time, and, and we wouldn't get to this uh, relationship with God. And, uh, and that's what we're going to do, forget the, the, the drinking part. I'm, I'm qualified, fully qualified, and I'd love to spend some more time with you. If you come to Medoc, and this is not a promotion, it's just an announcement, uh, we can talk about drinking some more. And uh, we're fully qualified. Anyway, so I'm forced to come to Alcoholics Anonymous. And what happens is, they give me three days to think about it. They've already sent me to see this man. He was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he was doing two things. He was doing a professional job. He was a CEO of a treatment center. He was evaluating a peer. He was a vice president in the company. I was a senior director in the company. And he was evaluating to me to find out what was wrong with me. The company knew there was something wrong with me. When I wasn't drinking, things went pretty smoothly. And when I was drinking, things went bad. And, uh, and so they were just tired of it. I was a, uh, a valuable uh, member of that firm. They'd spent a, a fortune on uh, training me and educating me and sending me around the world and doing things. 
entrusted me with a corporate aircraft and, and a position and a 30-some million dollar budget, uh, yearly budget to run a department. And anyway, it, was, it, was, it should have been just wonderful. And anyway, I get 12-step by this guy, and he spent five hours with me, and, I, uh, and I, I'm trying to run through this in 45 minutes or less. And, 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 and when he would ask me a question, I would lie to him. But mostly, he just shared his experience, strength, and hope with me. And you know what came out of that? Not the first step and not the twelfth step. Step two came out of that five hours. When I left there and went home, I left there on step two, that I had come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity because I believed him. I believed his stories that he told me. He was an executive with General Motors. He was so bad, he was in South America selling for General Motors, had the company plane. They were in a country that didn't have booze on Sunday. One day he got on his company plane, went to another country next door to him in South America, bought some booze and went back and, and finished his job. And, and I could identify with that. And uh, that's, the, that's my kind of drinker. And um, so anyway, he, he shared his story with me and I left there and, and I just left there, I went there, I didn't know I went there, hopeless, L-E-S-S, and I came away from that meeting, I didn't know this, but I was hopeful, I was hopeful that maybe my life could turn around, that I could have the life that he has, and so they gave me that three days to think about it, and the third day, the, the morning, it was a Friday morning, and I don't know if I came awake or came to or if I hadn't been to bed or what. Those three days are like a blackout. I wasn't drinking, but it was a blackout. I don't know if I ate. I don't know if I slept. I don't know what I did. I didn't leave the house. I know that. The third day I got up, and I do know that I got up off the bed, and I fell to the floor. The same floor that I'm going to go home to in about an hour or so, the same floor. I live in the same home I did 31 years ago, and, uh, and I'm going to go home to that bedroom. And, but I fell to the floor, and I started crying, just like a baby. And crying was so unnatural for me. I hadn't cried since I was a little boy watching my father beat me, beat my mom, beat my sisters and everything. I have lived through, I'm not virtuous to any kind of pain and suffering that a man can experience. I have, I have literally been there and done that and, and, and to, uh, um, a, a plenty in that uh, I had had every opportunity to cry and just did not, would not. My father had taught me four things that a man doesn't do. A man doesn't ask for help, almost killed me. A man doesn't give up, it almost killed me. He said a man doesn't cry, that almost killed me. I think crying is one of the best emotions in the whole wide world. And, and, and today, I, I'm not going to cry at this podium. I know some people will, and I don't think anything's wrong with it. Uh, we got a good friend. We know when he's going to cry. You know, we, we know his story so good and so forth. Anyway, um, it, crying is, is a good thing. There's tears of joy and there's tears of sadness. And, and to learn to be quiet and listen to somebody share their grief or their happiness with you and just, just be there and, and cry with them if they're crying. And I don't do that all the time. I'm a hard guy by nature. My, my new wife can attest to that. But, but, but I'm trying to, to, to be open and, 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 and aware of people's feelings and everything much more than I used to be 
when we say we don't give a crap how you feel, we care about what you do. Well, we, we, there's different ways of doing that. In any case, I fell to the floor that morning and I cried out for help. The first, the first thing I've ever said that there was a real value was, I said three words, God help me. No more, no less. And, and but they were the most heartfelt words. And, and I didn't hear that and learn that in AA. I didn't read that in this book or anywhere, any other book. I just in desperation. And they tell me, you come into AA, it, it helps to be desperate. It helps for AA to be the last door on, on, on the block. That uh, it works best when it's that way. And so uh, I was at that state of total surrender and desperation. And, and I said, God help me. And I don't know where you were a little over 31 years ago, April the 31st, uh, March the 31st. I don't know where you were, but you were by yourself because God was in my bedroom <laughs> lifting me up. And that's exactly what he did. I've been lifted up, and there's no puff of smoke. I know exactly what happened. He sent me to AA. Now, he could have sent me to the Boy Scouts. And I could have jumped right in there. That's the Boy Scout uh, little deal there. And I promised to help little old ladies across the street and to be honest and sell cookies and whatever, you know. If he could have sent me there. But you know what he did? He sent me to a program he had established called Alcoholics Anonymous. And he had created 12 steps and given us the book to follow and men and women to guide us. And, and I believe in God, but I believe God believes in people. And most of my help has come from godly men and women who, who have felt the Spirit, have, have worked the steps, had a spiritual relationship, and were willing to pass that on. And so that happened to me in step one when, when it was, uh, when, when you're driving a, a company car and you got an American, company, American Express car and you got money in the bank and you got a home and you're flying company airplanes and, and so forth, and you don't have power on at your own home because you're too sorry, too, too lazy to write the utility bill or to pay the bill and everything and get mad about it, that's unmanageability. And, and, and that's just one example of how out of whack my life was. And so came to believe. I came to believe sitting there listening to a man talk about how his life had changed in Alcoholics Anonymous for five hours and then being introduced to a home group <clears throat> and to a sponsor. And my first, I could talk all night. I wish this talk tonight was on sponsorship. I've had some of the best sponsors in the whole wide world. I'm just overpaid in every area of the world. Mentally, physically, financially, spiritually the, uh, the most. So in any case, that third step, my, my sponsor made it real, real simple for me. The third step, quite simply, meant for Paige Wood is that I'm willing to take the next step. I got down on my knees and asked, uh, said the little prayer. I don't even have it memorized today. I know the third step prayer. I could probably stumble through it. But, but basically it says, God's will be done, not mine. And what it meant is that I'd be willing to take the next step. The next step happened to be pen and paper. Step four, when it says, um, uh, at once we started writing. And we started talking about those big evils in our life, the resentment and the fear and the sex and, and that kind of stuff. And it gives you a, a, a deal to go at it. Well, I successfully did that for over five years, lying and 
and holding something back the very worst every time. You know why? Because I couldn't trust you. You know why I couldn't trust you? Because I'm still untrustworthy. That's why. You can't trust people if you're not trusting. It's one of the principles. You can't, it's cause and effect. You can't love and hate with the same breath. You're either going to be loving or you're going to be hating. You can't steal and give with the same breath. You can't do it. And so I was not trustworthy, so I couldn't trust you. And so, but after five years in Jerry's father's home in Coach, North Carolina, I was able to lay that last piece of guilt, that last piece of trash down, and put everything. Now, I had put my drinking inside the circle in the triangle back then, and I was no longer had the compulsion. The compulsion to drink had been taken away just like that. I just didn't fear alcohol in any form or fashion. We were going to three to five meetings a day, every day, reading AA literature, going all over the country, spending a fortune on airline tickets, and, and, and just, just out of, out of, our life was, you could almost say it was out of control, but it was in, out of control inside of AA. We were going to conventions every weekend and the meetings. I was doing a breakfast meeting, a lunchtime meeting, uh, 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 a five o'clock meeting uh, called a um, happy hour meeting, an eight o'clock meeting back then where you could uh, go at eight o'clock and smoke all you wanted to. I can smoke a whole pack of cigarettes in one hour meeting. I've done that, yeah. I'm a great smoker, you know, in an open speaker meeting. Anyway, so we were doing that. And so I started taking that inventory and by the fifth year of taking inventory, I finally was able to clear away the wreckage of the past and, 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 and my life uh, began anew with a, with, a, with a good understanding of where the work in Alcoholics Anonymous is at. That's step six and seven. My sponsor always said the real work of AA is in steps six and seven. And I, I could never understand that till you can understand that. We have an expression between ourselves, Jerry and myself, that you can't tell a frog in a whale what the sound of the ocean sounds like. You, you just can't do it. They, they got no understanding until, until you can see or till you can hear. Anyway, that six and seven came alive, alive in my life. I was given my list of character defects. I was told to look them up, uh, write down the definitions of them, look up the opposite of it and, and write that definition down, carry that piece of paper around with me all the time and, and, and practice the opposite of what I was thinking. And, and that, that led me into the amends, eight and nine. Most of that went real well for me. Most of mine that went well was the financial. I was still making a lot of money and good money, and I was paying back things. And that was easy enough to do. Didn't like doing it till I understood you're not paying them money back. You're giving them their money back. I was a thief. And, and so I'm, I'm just giving back what I had taken. And all those uh, false expense accounts that I had turned in, and that kind of thing. Um, so anyway, did that. Uh, I've, I've had some remarkable, I'm, I'm one of the few men, in, in, I guess in North Carolina at least anyway, that I know, I've never met anybody else that when, when the wife is separating and leaving you, she said she wanted half. I said, I'll give you half. I went out to the tool shed, the boathouse for me, and got a chainsaw out and came back in the house. I started cutting everything in half. You want half? I'll give you half. And uh, if that chainsaw hadn't have broke up, she'd have got half. As it is, she got most of it, uh, you know, 
But um, it, it, the chain jumped up on me on um, on the tub. It, it, it fouled up on me when I was cutting the tub in half. The couch was gone. That was easy, and, and some chairs were easy, and that kind of stuff. But anyway, AA fixed that. Some years later, I was able to pray with the grandmother of my children, uh, my grandchildren. Uh, and, and God had fixed her, and he had fixed me, and, and he allowed us to, to pray together and to be great grandparents. Now, that's as close as we want to be, or that she trusts me with even today. But, but again, AA is that strong that it can fix something that broken. And so eight and nine went good. The, the most trouble I had was repairing the damage to a mother-in-law that I had sued. And uh, she took me to court, and I countersued. And, and I, my lawyer was better than her lawyer. And I put her in the poorhouse, and, and, and that was hard to make an amend for. But finally, we, we were able to do that. AA is powerful. It's more powerful than, than, the, than alcohol. So anyway... I'm, I'm now learning uh, about spiritual matters through the principles of the steps. We start with 10, 11, and 12. I, I lump them all together to, today. I did even back then. Uh, step 10, the most valuable thing I get out of that is that when my anger and my fear and my self-pity and my resentments come again, and they will, they visit, I'm taught what to do. The first thing I do is ask God. And, and, and for direction, I call somebody, I call my sponsor, I call a fellow AA member, and we talk about it. And then we look for somebody to help. Remember, we're given a purpose in AA, purpose to be a maximum use to God. To God, again, where that come from? What is that? But we're going to be a maximum use to God. He's our employer. We're the employee. And, and so, um, where does that all come about? It comes about through this process of Him drawing us near. We knock on the door, and the door opens, and, and we're allowed to come in, and He starts revealing his, his power and His might, our Creator does, and so that's what happens. So 10 and 11, and, and even when I don't know what to do, I'm given a prayer uh, that don't do anything, Paige. Quit making it worse. Don't take any action. Sit calmly. Pray for the right answer. It will come. And then 12 is, is a good example of that is right here, right now. Be willing to get in the car and come down here and eat good food. Hang out with a wonderful group like you. Let me also go back to the book for just a moment. And um, I stumble around when I look for things in the book because they move it all the time. Every time I open this book, I can't find what I'm looking for. But I found this quite easy. If you're looking for it, it's on page 29. I should have said this you know, 45 minutes ago. It says, each individual in the personal stories, and I just told my personal story a little bit, just a little bit about mine, describes in his own language and from his own point of view the way he established his relationship with God. Let me tell you something, friends. Somewhere in this book it talks about... Um, that we're supposed to share in a general way what we were like, what happened, what we're like now. And I think all of that's nice and good. And I can talk about that all night long. And you won't know the most important thing about me goes back to page 29 that what got me sober 
was establishing that relationship with God. You guys helped. AA is powerful. Going to meetings is, is nice. It will not keep you sober. I'm, I'm an expert at that. I know because I've, I've, I've missed the meetings, but I've had God with me. Uh, one of the first things that happened to me was when the company allowed me to go back to doing my job, I left the security of going to all these meetings. They sent me to Kentucky. Nothing bad about Kentucky, but I'm not going to live there. Not in the mountains, anyway. And I went back there, and I, my sponsor had given me a list of meetings and people to call. I couldn't find a one of them. I come back through over one mountain into one. You know what those people in Kentucky, they, they live in these valleys? They don't know what's on the other side of the mountain. You know, they, they don't go up and down 95 and 64 and visit places. They live in that valley. I'm serious. Anyway, I had a hard time finding AA. I didn't find AA, but my sponsor said on the telephone, Paige, did you bring your book with you? I said, well, yes, sir, I did. You taught me to do that. You told me to do that. I thought I had to. He said, go to your room, lock the door, undress, get ready for bed, pray and get into bed and open up your book and read it. He said, AA is like a buffet. Sometimes the meetings, the most important things we do. Sometimes the literature is the most important thing we do. Sometimes praying is it that way. Working with others is that way. But at any one time, it all blends together in the blender and, and, and so forth. And for me, that night and that weekend, all I had was the literature. He said, open the book, don't plan it, just open the book and start reading. It fell open to the chapter, to the wives. I've never read that chapter, probably would have never read that chapter, except but I didn't have a wife, except for the one I cut her house down, you know, and, 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 and so forth. I wasn't planning on another wife, ever. And um, now let me tell you, um, some 31 years later, because of the power of AA, and, and the 31 years of men putting up with me, and 22 years of women putting up with my wife, we've got, we got a marriage that is made in heaven. Uh, I'm, I, if, um, I've just met Brian's new girlfriend tonight, and uh, so I'm, I'm happy for them. And anybody that, that finds a, a, um, a soulmate, a partner, a friend, everybody needs that. That's what we are. That's how we befriend each other. Anyway, I'm, I'm off on that stuff again. So... <laughs> So anyway, that, and on page 29, it talks about how do you establish that relationship with God. Well, for me, it happened through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the steps, one at a time. It was a pretty disciplined, organized manner that I was led that way. And, 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 and I am so ever grateful for, for the simple solution that's laid out in this book. Uh, just 1 through 12, do this, and you've got somebody to help you with it. Uh, everybody is absolutely willing to help with that. So anyway, uh, that's that's the deal. I'm going to close right now on time. Uh, for the record, I'm on time. And um, a friend of mine in our home group about about four or five years ago, right, Kevin, when Jim Faircloth came, he borrowed. He was at the podium just like I am tonight, and I might would say, Jerry, have you got uh, have you got the pamphlet in your literature rack? A member's eye view of Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, Jim Faircloth asked me, and I said, well, yes, sir, we do. And I went over there, and I got it. I said, we only got one. He said, I'll just borrow it. And I said, no, you can have it. And he said, no, I'm just going to borrow it. 
And so he, he, we loaned it to him and he gave it back. He closed his talk with this and I've been influenced by this ever since. I'm going to close tonight with it because of the topic about uh, how do you establish this relationship with God. Let me, tell you, let, me, let me share this with you. Most of us, especially me, up to four years ago, I'm a student of everything in AA. Uh, you know, uh, the, yeah, the expert type thing, Madeline. And, and, and so, and we know that's not true. Uh, but um, but I, I had never re remembered this. So listen, I'm reading out of AA conference approved literature, number one. I'm just going to hit at it. This coming Sunday, in the churches of many of us, that we read that portion of the Gospel of Matthew. Actually, it's Matthew 11, 2 through 5, which recounts the time when John the Baptist was languishing in the prison of Heron. And hearing of the works of his cousin Jesus, he sent two of his disciples to say to him, Art thou he who is to come, or shall we look for another? This is in Conference Approved Literature. And Christ did as he so often did. He did not answer them directly, but wanted John to decide for himself. And so he said to his disciples, Go and report to John what you have heard and what you have seen. So they go back and they report. The blind see. You know, I talked about that frog living in a well that can't heal the ocean. The lame walk, the leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead rise, the poor, the poor in spirit is meaning what they're talking about, the poor in spirit, they could also be poor in, 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 in financial means and so forth, but uh, they mostly mean poor in spirit. They hear the gospel, and the gospel is referred to as the good news, and that's the good news that we get right here in the textbook Alcoholics Anonymous. So more than 31 years later, I'm here to tell you that if you were to ask me tonight, tell me what did you find when you came here? And I would say to you, as I say to you now, I can tell you only what I've heard and seen. It seems the blind do see. The lame do walk, the leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead rise, and over and over again, in the middle of the longest day or the darkest night, the poor in spirit hear the good news told to them. God grant that it may always be so. Thank you so much. <laughs>